by P4P Muscle Productions and Entertainment, the number one drug-free athlete sponsorship foundation in the world. Now, I want you to grab a friend, turn the volume up a bit, lean in, and listen to the show where all the athletes want to talk. Fit Talk with Melinda Corsino. Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to Fit Talk with Melinda Corsino. I appreciate all listening in right now. Tonight, I have two really special guests, um, but before we get into that, I just have a quick introduction for you guys. This show is brought to you by P4P Muscle, the number one drug-free sponsorship in the world. If you're a drug-free athlete or just looking for the best supplements on the planet that represent the drug-free lifestyle, check out P4P Muscle at P4PMuscle.com. And anything on the website, you can certainly use my code MELINDA for 15% off. All right, so tonight, a little bit different than the other shows I've done. I have two obstacle course racers, endurance racers, Here with me tonight, I have Michelle Roy and Ken Terrell. Uh, Both do some of the same races and separate, and they both have a a really awesome background. They're going to share a lot of interesting information with you tonight. So I'm going to turn it over to them to introduce themselves. So I'm going to go ahead and start with Ken. Ken, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, Sure. Uh, My name is Kenneth Hulk Terrell. Uh, I'm going to be 40 next month. Uh, my career did not start anything along the lines of being an athlete. I was an attorney after finishing up school. I practiced law for eight years. Then I was a professional poker player for three years. And over the course of those 11 years, I got fat and lazy sitting behind a desk. Got to the point where about four years ago, I weighed 270 pounds at the 40-inch waist. Uh, a couple of years ago, playing with my son, I realized I couldn't keep up with him and that I had to make a change or I was going to have to watch his life from the sidelines instead of being part of it. Uh, lost 85 pounds in 2011. Since then, I've added about 20 pounds of muscle. And about a, what, 2013, I guess it was, I discovered the Spartan race and started my obstacle course running. Um, I've run about 70 races since then, ranging from simple 5K events all the way up through and including having competed in and finished three uh, the last three Ultra Beasts for the Spartan Race. And I know that because I was there for your last one, which is very, uh, very awesome that you finished both the Beast and the Ultra in the same weekend, so we're going to go ahead and dive into that one later. Uh, but now let's turn it over to Michelle, and why don't you give us a quick introduction of yourself? Uh, sure. My name is Michelle Roy. I am a middle school uh, technology teacher. Um, I've taught middle schoolers for 16 years. I describe myself as an uber nerd. I'm a robotics coach and uh, basically anything Star Wars, Star Trek. Um, I started running in 2006. Um, basically had never run a mile before that. I had a dear friend and also a co-worker um, who died of melanoma um, during our school year and to get the kids' minds off of the loss of a beloved teacher, I said that I would run one of the oldest trail marathons in New England and we would raise money for melanoma. Uh, We raised over, I think, $5,000. It took me seven and a half hours (laughs) 
to run this 26-mile course. I showed up with tennis shoes and a hiking backpack (laughs) filled with Gatorade. And uh, I believe, I think I brought like chocolate chip cookies. Um, But I finished and I loved the community. And ever since then, I have been a runner. I've described myself as a teacher first and a ultra runner second. So... And lots of things to take talk us, about, but hmm? yeah, take us through just a brief for the people listening in that don't know all the amazing accomplishments you've had. Just okay. a couple of <laughs> the amazing things that you've done, so they know. Okay, so I started, like I said, at a seven and a half hour uh, trail marathon, and since then, the last oh, what is that? I don't know, eight years. I have competed in seven death races. I have a first place, a second place, and a third place. Um, at a summer, a winter, and a team death race. I am the three-time women's record holder for the peak 500-mile race, um, the three-time women's snowshoe 100 record holder for peak. Uh, I think I've done over, gosh, 200 ultras. 40% of those ultras I ran with a 20-pound log. Um, let's see, uh I guess. Oh, I did my first OCR race um, at the Vermont Beast, and I had never done one before, and I was in the top 20 for women. So I was excited for that. And, uh, yeah, I think that's probably the highlights of what I've done. Is that enough? Yeah. <laughs> that okay? that's, and that's pretty amazing. So going from there for, for both of you, what's, you kind of touched on this a little bit, but let's dive into it a little bit more for those that don't know you. Um, let's dive in deeper to what sparked your interest. So you told a little bit of the story, but um, that sparked your interest into, you know, running and racing, but sparked your interest into, you know, doing something like the death race or, you know, doing something like a Spartan race that's 26 miles long. What got you guys to that type of level? My, um, yeah, when I, when I got myself into better shape, I made a career change and I ended up starting working as a personal trainer. And in late 2012, one of my clients, who was a bigger guy, heavy set, but he was uh, interested in getting himself into better shape, and he had discovered this thing called the Spartan Race. And he asked me if I would run the Spartan Race with him in March 2013. I had never heard of it. I didn't particularly care about it, but to me, the thought of being able to do something to help motivate him made sense. And so we made a deal. I told him if he stuck to the plan we had put together for four months and lost 20 pounds by sticking to the diet and following the routine we put together, that I would sign up for and run the the Spartan race with him in Georgia. And that was a sprint, which would have been March 2013. He held up his half of the bargain. So I did, in fact, register and run the event with him. I actually ended up doing the hurricane heat first, which was not at all what they advertised and a very fun funny story on its own, but ran the race with him and I absolutely loved it. I was, I was hooked the second, the second I I got to the starting line, I was hooked. And before bed that night, I think my wife and I had registered for three more events. And from there, it's just been every race, every race that I can do, I do. Michelle, how about you? Well, um, after I did that first race, for um, my students, I really enjoyed myself. So I took it took about two years where I just started to do trail running. 
um, 5, 10, uh, 15Ks, you know, 26 miles was the longest distance. So it took about two years, and I actually found that I was really passionate about uh, about running trails, not necessarily ultra-running at that time because 26 miles was the longest distance that I did. I found that I would choose to do that every single weekend. So there was a, a race series in New England that um, I would do for three years in a row. I did 2007, 8, and 2009, and I was like, kind of crowned the Stonehead champ. And that basically means I have no social life because all I did <laughs> was run races every <laughs> single weekend. So basically I was a big loser. Um, but, no, I, it, it was, I was so passionate about it. Um, it made me happy. The community made me happy. The people made me happy. I didn't enter into um, ultra running until 2009. Um, I had set my sights on doing my first 50K and did that and then took another six months before I did my first 50 and then another six months before I did my first 100. So for a lot of people, it seems like they go from, you know, couch to 100 milers today. But for me, it was, a, it was, a, it was an evolution. Um, it was an evolution that took quite a, quite a long period of time. I consider myself now... Um, really an ultra runner. I got into death races and all the peak 500-mile crazy races um, because I am a cancer survivor, so I was sick and I was sad and I was feeling sorry for myself. Um, And so I signed up for a winter death race basically (laughs) a month after I had had surgery um, because (laughs) I I was basically living in a tree fort and I was depressed and couldn't get a date, and I was feeling sorry for myself, and so why not do a death race? So I signed up for a death race. Not you may be the only person that I heard say that, but, you know, that's whatever works for you. That's you realize so that I most people this- say, why not have a drink or why not have a pint yeah, of ice cream, not why, why not run a death race? I know I had just seen... I had seen little bits and pieces about it, and I was like, this sounds crazy and awesome. And so I went to my first death race. I was the only woman there. I came completely unprepared. And I ended up getting uh, second place overall. And I met uh, Joe DeSena and Andy Weinberg, who both men played a very important uh, role in my life as mentors um, after that. And I just fell in love with the idea of the death race and peak races and the people that surround um, that, the positivity of people and the ability to, like, you know, push yourself to a certain point and then push yourself a little further. So, yeah, I mean, it's a a strange evolution, but it's taken me a long time. For those listening in that aren't up to par with the Spartan lingo that we have going on, why don't each of you kind of explain, um, Ken, you can take the Spartan Ultra Beast, and then, Michelle, you can take the Death Race, and you don't have to go too far into Death, but just, like, what does it entail? Because... I know what it entails, and I know how absolutely crazy and awesome it is. I've never run one. I'll put that out there. I've only done the regular beast. Um, but, yeah, let's let's go into depth for the listeners so they understand the absolute awesomeness of what you guys are doing. Okay. Well, the, the on the Spartan side of things, the, the Spartan has three basic distance races that they have that are their core of their running. There's the sprint, which is three to five miles with 15 or more obstacles, the super, which is typically 8 to 10 miles with 20 or more obstacles, and then the beast, which is a minimum half marathon, 13 miles, uh, and 25 or more obstacles. 
then a couple times a year. Before this year, it was just once a year, but this year they've had a couple. They have what they call the Ultra Beast, and it's kind of its own separate animal. Um, it's been run since 2012. At a bare minimum, it's supposed to be a marathon distance or more, so 26.2 miles or more. The three that I've completed have actually been uh, 32.2, 28.5, and 31, respectively. Um, they have twice as many obstacles. They have extra challenges. There's extra mental objects, and there's just the sheer impact of pushing your body for that long where – you know, a, a, a marathon is an incredible challenge, but it's a very different style of challenge. You're on typically relatively flat terrain. The Ultra Beast is always set in the mountains. So you're dealing with going up and down steep slopes, typically what would be the equivalent of a black diamond or double black diamond slope, sometimes on trails, sometimes you're just going through the middle of the woods where uh, the course designer decided he wanted to go this way. Um, you're carrying incredibly heavy objects. The the double sandbag carry in Vermont last year was considered probably the worst obstacle ever. It was two sixty-pound sandbags. Sandbag oh, oh. I did the single the, sandbag the single carry. Bag. I, I, I mean, it was. I that's the obstacle that I talk about when everyone references the beast is just the sandbag carry and the fact that you guys had to do it double. I can't even fathom that. It was also twice as high last year. The twenty fourteen sandbag carry. Where where we made the turn this year in Vermont, you had to yep. go literally twice as high up where the steep got got well, the slope got much steeper. You had to go all the way mm -hmm. up to the top of that ridge and then come back down. So the total <sighs> distance was over a half a mile of distance up and down that slope, and it was two sixty yep. pound bags. And it's it's that kind of stuff. And and in addition to the sheer physical aspect of it they bring a lot of mind games into play. So, for example, that sandbag carry last year was set up right next to the festival area. So you're physically exhausted doing the hardest thing you've ever done, and over your shoulder, all your friends are drinking beer sitting around a fireplace. And <laughs> it's psychologically challenging to force yourself to keep going when it would be incredibly easy to walk off, quit, and just have a beer and, and give it up. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the Ultra Beast, where the I've done beasts in as quick as three hours. Uh, the Ultra Beast, I've, like I said, I've completed three. Last year it took me 14 hours, and this year we're 11.03 and 11.17. So you're you're out there from dawn until dusk. Yep. That's, yeah, it's incredible. I, I've run the Beast. I've run five Beasts now. And the thought of crossing, well, the times when it's a double loop, crossing the finish line and then to to bring myself mentally to go around another time. I, I don't know how you guys do it, but it's it's absolutely incredible. Um, Michelle, why don't you take them on the death race side, which is a little bit different. It's yeah, crazy. It, it, Even by my standards, the death race is crazy. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's kind of funny. I have to say in advance that my view of the death race is just my view. It's my opinion. It's what I feel about it. I mean, the death race is different in that for every individual who chooses to do it, they come out of it with a different view. Some people hate it. Some people have done it and never do it again and leave very angry. Some people have done it and done every single one. Um, and they consider, you know, death racers, their family, community. Um, some people would say the death race saved their life. So this is just my opinion. Um, 
about how I saw the death race. But for me, um, I, what I loved about it the most is that you really are racing against yourself. And it is just such a mind F. Um, it is as much your mind as it is your physical will. If you saw me, I'm a, a skinny little chicken-legged dork. I'm not a strong woman. You wouldn't look at me and think that I could do these things. But I do have actually a pretty high of threshold for pain, suffering, and an ability to just kind of close off what's going on and just kind of keep moving forward. Um, relentless forward motion. I'm good at that. So with the death race, you can have somebody that is six foot four, 235 pounds quit before somebody who's five foot four, you know, 106 pounds because it really gets to a point where it's no longer just about physical ability, but it becomes about the mental challenge. Um, some people say the death race is, is stupid. Uh, it's basically just going to Pittsfield, Vermont, and doing yard work for Joe DeSena, the owner of Spartan. <laughs> I disagree. I, I disagree completely. Um, we've gone there and actually have, we've cut enough wood for all of the, the elderly people in Pittsfield to have wood for their entire winter. We've built a beautiful set of stone stairs up a mountainside, Um of which I actually have a uh, not-for-profit right now that Joe has let me set up called the Stone Cancer Survivors, Cancer Victims. Um, those stairs for a lot of people, uh, it's a place of magic. So to me, like the death race, it's it's like part of me. I'm, I'm so glad that I had the opportunities to do these races. People that I met there, um, some of them will be my our family. Our family in a way even more so than my own family. So it's pretty horrific, some of the stuff that you do. Um, it's so hard, Melinda, to even be to try to explain. How long, so let's start with the length. Oh, How God. long are you usually out there for a death race? Um, seven, it's usually like three days. The longest, I believe, is about four or five days. Um, so like you might start on a Friday morning and some event on a Tuesday. Um they're, they have different themes every year. One year we were with Safima's Betrayal, and I showed up um, late and was basically tortured and had to carry a giant pipe filled with water with Todd Sedlak. He, I'm sure maybe some of your listeners will know Todd. He's an old DR guy. We had to carry that for over 24 hours up and down a mountain. Um, everyone else oh had teams of like seven to twelve people, and it was Todd and I. And then Joe just then grabbed two other people, and so we had a team of four. We had to swim yep. across a lake. We had to, I mean, it just the stuff that they ask you to do. Your body is just beaten down, and then your mind is just just completely played with because you're cold, you're wet, you're starving. They wouldn't let us bring any of our food or water. For 24 hours, we were drinking out of streams. Um, and none of us had any food. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God. It's a mind game. Yeah, it's a mind game. Yeah. And uh, it's pretty crazy. And, yeah, it's it's so hard to explain, but it's just whether you finish it or not really doesn't matter. To me, it doesn't. I mean, you get a stupid skull if you finish. It's like a plastic $2 skull. The skull, it's not about the skull. It's about going there and kind of pushing yourself past the point of comfort that you never thought you could. 
which mm-hmm. a lot of people, and, and Kenneth described it when, or Ken described it when he was talking about, you know, the hurricane heats and the and the super beast and stuff. Those are things that some people look at you and say, wow, I could never do that. That's just crazy. But but they could. And that's the thing. They really, it's in everybody to be able to do that. Um so it's just it's just a cool experience to be given like the opportunity to do that. I think that's why I love I love the death race so much. Well, I I know recently I was when I was running the um, Spartan Beast out in Tahoe. I was running up running up the mountain and you know trying to keep my mind off of what was going on. And I was chatting mm-hmm. with a girl that has done a couple death races as well. And it just made me feel all the better because I was uh, hit like the eight mile mark. I was feeling pretty good, but you know, fatigue starts to set in with high altitude. And I'm like, oh mm-hmm. man, you know, this is getting rough. And uh, well, I'm going to push through. And then having this girl mm-hmm. tell me all the stories of her death races. She did one in Mexico, I think. Um, mm-hmm. and, a, and she did a winter death race. And just hearing her stories about things that you guys are doing. And she was chained together to other people. They were hiking through the woods. <laughs> they had to. <laughs> take off all their clothes down to their, you know, bras and underwear, just underwear, and, you know, mm-hmm. carry things through. And just hearing all this stuff, it, I'm like, wow, I got like a 5K right now. You know, I, can <laughs> this race. I can't even believe the things that this girl is doing. So I, I've yep. never been through it. Um, just like I've been through the beast, and when I try to explain the beast to people, it's it, you don't fully know until you get the experience of actually stepping mm-hmm. out there. But I think mm-hmm. the listeners kind of have a little bit of an insight of what's going on with some of the races mm-hmm. at least. So let's from there lead into training. I mean, you both, like I mentioned at the beginning, do some of the same type of races, some different races, but how do you each train for your your specific races that you run throughout the year? Ken, let's start with you. Uh, in my case, it varies depending on the time of the season. The uh, the races that I run, I, I stick to primarily just obstacle course races. And they, in the early part of the year, most of the ones that I run are on the shorter side. So from December through February is kind of my off, my first off-season. And during that part of the year, I'm kind of half recovering from the longer races at the end of the season, working on building up strength and getting my running back after having taken some time off to recover. Um, the whole spring into the beginning part of the summer is typically the shorter races that I run, anywhere from three to as long as 10 miles, um, and I'll run a, during that time maybe two to three races a month. Then during the summer, living in Georgia, there's not a lot of races down in this area during the summer because it's just way too hot. And so during the summer is when I'll start to amp up my endurance training and start to prep myself to get ready for the beasts and the ultra beasts that are going to be coming up in the fall as well as the tougher mountain races. Um, those of you out there who run Spartan races might have heard of Wintergreen, and that's kind of the, the kickoff race for me in the fall, the, the nine-mile mountain climbing race uh, that's a super distance, but it's actually harder than most of the beasts. Mm-hmm. So that whole summer is devoted to longer training sessions, getting two to three hours at a time on my feet, um, carrying sandbags, carrying... Uh, weight vests on stair climbers and incline treadmills for 90 minutes at a time and then following that up with a run or a row and then lifting later in the day. So the, the there's a cycle of training for me over the course of the year 
And then as I get closer to the longer races, I, I cut back on the weight training because that's kind of my passion part, but it doesn't necessarily fit preparation for the Ultra Beast. Yep, uh, no, definitely. I... Go ahead. Sorry about that. That's okay. Um, and then, you know, for having just gotten back from Tahoe, I'm, I just this week I'm getting back to getting to do my the lifting that I love doing. It definitely, I, for, from the female side, at least, when it comes to Spartan racing, uh, I get a lot of questions on, on that. And I, I wouldn't call myself a, a distance runner by any means. I've run half marathons. The longest distance I've ever run has been, I wouldn't say, 18 miles. Um, but for me, for what helps me get ready for Spartan races is also adding the strength component to it. So, Absolutely. Um, you know, for... Females that may be weaker, because a lot of females tend to hold their strength in their lower body, their hips. Um, a lot of females can tend to, and I'm going to actually stop everyone there. There's a little bit of background noise coming from mm. someone. I think, and I'm sorry to bring this up live, Ken, it sorry. may be someone in the background. That's okay. Yeah. No big deal. It happens. Um, just so we can get more of a clear chat going live. That's what happens when you go live. Anything can happen. Um, so for for females anyway, like getting over, there's there's seven-foot walls, there's eight-foot walls, there's ten-foot walls. Some guys can get over those very easily just on sheer strength of what they already have. A lot of women have the tough time getting over those walls with their upper body strength. So when people ask me, I'm like, I'm not a distance runner, but my strength component helps me be competitive in these races. So for women out there that have asked me or messaged me on questions with OCR, adding on to what Ken is saying with strength, it is important for you to be doing more than just going out and being able to run a long distance. You need to be in the gym, whether you do CrossFit, whether you just go and do bodybuilding style training, but build up your upper and lower body because you're going to be hitting these obstacles where you have to pull yourself over a 10-foot wall. You have to climb a rope. You have to carry a log up and down you know, a mountain, and having that strength is huge to help your endurance to continue after. I just wanted to add that in because I've been getting a lot of questions on that. They're like, you just ran a 14-mile race, but you're not really a long distance runner. So, Exactly. I'm actually not a runner either. Uh, I'm I'm six foot one, 210 pounds. You're, an average runner at my height comes in at about 165 to 170. I'm mm-hmm. built for the gym. I'm built for carrying heavy stuff. I yep. cover the miles, and I've learned to do the running I need to, but I've mm-hmm. never run a regular – in fact, I've only covered a marathon distance four times in my life, and in all four cases, it was in the Spartan Ultra Beast. Yeah. Uh, other than that, the longest one I've ever done is a half marathon. Yeah. It's it's mental, too. It's, it's again, like Michelle was saying, like you were saying earlier, it's mental, and then it's being able to hit that off big thing with Spartan races is you don't stop. You have to keep moving constantly. If you need to take a little bit of break and walk, totally fine. But in order to really push that time, you have to hit that obstacle hard, catch your breath, and keep running. So having that strength to get through that obstacle easier is just going to help you in the long run. It's especially true with the Ultra Beast because unlike the other events, the Ultra Beast has time checks. The sprint, the super, the beast, you take as long as it takes, you keep going, and then you finish when you finish. The Ultra Beast, you, if you don't met, hit certain time points, they will pull you from the course. So mm-hmm. that, that mentality of don't stop, don't ever stop, whether it's you, you, if you have to slow down and walk, that's fine. If you have to eat, do it while you walk. If you have to do something right. else, do it while you walk. Keep moving. Yeah, you have to. I eat when I hike up mountains. When I see a long hike ahead of me, I know I can't run it. 
I hike, I pull my backpack in front of me, I grab my food out, grab my mustard packs, which we can talk about later. I'm not sure if you guys use those. But um, I hike up the mountain, I eat my food, I drink my water, pack those back on. I don't pull off to the side to eat, which has been a huge help most of the time, you know. I'm not there yet. I'm getting it's better a good every year I race. Getting better every year I race. But, um, Michelle, what do you do for your type of training? Is your year a little bit different than, you know, myself yeah. and definitely well, different than Kenneth? I mean, I, you know, I I do CrossFit um, as well, and I actually, I, I love it. Um, although I'm small, uh, I actually have, I'm pretty strong. Um, you might not look at me and think that I am, but I do a lot of training for, because I like to train. So what we did to get ready for the Beast, because I I'd never done one before, is we had, we would go on um, a Saturday and do from 6 a.m. to around noon or 1. We'd do uh, an hour wad upon every hour. And when mm-hmm. we finished the wad, we would sprint around the building um, with a weighted vest. So mm-hmm. we would do, you know, a mile and a half of uh, basically a sled drag. And I would have like 345 plates. And we just a mile and a half of just dragging it along the pavement. Like just horrific, awful stuff. And the kind of things that you just like, it's painful, it's awful, I'm just going to separate it from my mind and it's not going to bother me and I'm going to get used to doing things that are not great, like carrying a bucket full of rock. Uh, I mean, that's that's the kind of stuff that the death race has taught me. You know, you can sit there possibly for six hours and have to do clean and presses with rocks for six hours straight. So it's either find your happy place and get there right away or you're not going to make it because it really doesn't matter how strong you are because it's going to hurt a big strong guy and it's going to hurt a tiny little lady to be doing six hours of something repetitive. So I just Mm -hmm. find my happy place. Um, So when I train, I actually enjoy it. I make it fun. I have a great group of people at CrossFit that all have done, um, you know, OCR. They're all big into uh, Spartan races, so I, you know, just said I'm going to do this race with you. It'll be really fun, and we made it a big team thing. Um, the like the, you know, it's funny. I'd never climbed up a wall. You know, I'd never jumped over anything. I didn't have any trouble with any of the obstacles except um, that sandbag on a rope thing. Okay, <laughs> in the sled. I was hanging there. Yeah, the one where you had to. Do- Oh, my oh, God. Oh, the Hercules hoist. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my oh, God. The I was fine laughing. That's my the favorite obstacle in existence. I love that one. <laughs> I was hanging from it, and people were looking at me, and I was dying laughing because I'm so little. I'm, like, trying, and I don't know, like, the tips of how to do it, so I'm basically swinging around in a circle. I can't even get my butt down on the ground. The guy is just laughing at me like, dear Lord. Um, I think the key is, you know, uh, that, you train, like, it's all about specificity. So if you told me that, um, you know, I want you to do a, a Spartan sprint, I would have my ass, excuse me, my tush handed to me because I'm not a fast runner. It takes me, like, five miles just to warm up. So it's mm-hmm. longer distance races. I don't have to stop. I don't have to eat. I don't get tired climbing up a mountain. So for me, you know, that's what enabled me to do so well at that race. Even though some of the some of the obstacles, I was a complete idiot at those ring things that you walked across. I mean, or like I think you had to jump out. Yeah, 
Oh, totally hysterically <laughs> funny. Um, I mean, it was a joke. I couldn't even get across it. But because I'm fast and I can run downhill fast, so if you want to be good at OCR races, you have to do the strength. You should do something like CrossFit or HIT or something where you are doing repetitive, heavy carries of stuff. Grab yourself a bucket and find yourself a mountain and climb up and down yep. it over and over again. Do you know what I mean? Like run. Go out and run. <laughs> Don't run roads. Don't run roads. Go and find yourself a gorgeous trail that has a big hill and yeah. do yeah. repeats of it. You know, I mean, No Spartan race has ever been run on a road. Exactly. I nope. mean, you have to train... It's going to stink, you know, or I, I hate using the word suck because I don't like my middle schoolers to use it, but I guess that's the best word. It's going to suck at times, and you've got to be able to go into it saying, oh, last Saturday I did this in the pouring rain. It was my training. So I'm racist. That's yes, exactly. You have to train for that, okay? Running on the road silly. I mean, it's not, <laughs> it's not silly. It's fun, but it's not going to do anything for you, you know? You're not going right. to be able to get over any of those things. You're not going to be able to run fast up, a, up the mountain you're going to be sucking wind <laughs> it's going to be awful so no, yeah you guys know exactly you to know add to what michelle said yeah. on the uh, ahead, on the training ahead. side of things um she said it and i said it in different ways but almost everyone i know who has done remotely well in training for ocr events trains under load um it's mm-hmm. not just going out and being a runner um, mm-hmm. runners have a good starting point. It will give you an advantage on certain parts of the course. But there are plenty of really good runners out there, people who run a mm-hmm. minute to a minute and a half per mile faster than me, and I kill them in Spartan races mm-hmm. because they can't, they can't operate under a load. And when I say that, I mean mm-hmm. a lot of a Spartan race or other obstacle course race, Battle Frog, um, Savage Race, you're carrying heavy stuff. And mm-hmm. it's a completely different burden, being used to carrying things and not in mm-hmm. just one, one, one sense. Get used to carrying sandbags. Get used to carrying a heavy log. Mm-hmm. Get used to carrying yep. a bucket. Wear a weight vest. Get mm-hmm. to the point where running without carrying something feels easy. Yeah. Because doing that makes it so much better when you're on the course. Mm-hmm. No, I that's very true. Keep going. Sorry. The, uh, I I got a one of my clients as a gift got me one of the seventy five pound rec bags, which is basically a really nice uh heavy sandbag that sits comfortably across your shoulders. And so when I take my son to his soccer practice, for the hour he's doing his soccer practice, I go run the trail around the park carrying my seventy pound sandbag on my shoulders. And people look at me like I'm nuts. But I took three hours off my time in the Ultra Beast this year and a, mm-hmm. a huge part of that was getting comfortable just being under load and it makes mm-hmm. it's got there's all kinds of as a trainer I can tell you there's all kinds of health benefits to it aside from that but if you're talking about specifically for racing it'll make you a better racer it doesn't matter what level you're at if you can get better at carrying heavy stuff you will be a better racer mm-hmm. uh, get, I can add oh you can have the lint I'll add after yeah, go for it. No, I'm just, I was just going to say for, you know, those that are listening in and saying, like, oh, my God, this just sounds crazy, do it with friends. Like, mm-hmm. I, we get groups of friends, you know, six, seven of us. We'll go hit a trail. We'll bring weight vests. We'll bring sandbags. We'll bring, you know, we'll do burpees. We'll bring gravel, you know, buckets of gravel that was made. And, and give it a try. 
but be miserable with each other because you'll tend mm-hmm. to push yourself a lot harder if your friends are doing it. So, again, we'll get in these groups. We'll do three-mile loops, you know, and pass off the weight vest and whatever everyone's comfortable with and people can push themselves more if they want to or if they need to. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. sometimes you just got to put yourself out there and give it a shot and, and you're laughing and you're having fun, but you're yeah. want to cry at the same time. But uh, <laughs> doing it in a group of people, like get a group of people and say, like, hey, we have a, even if it's a Spartan Sprint coming up, Let's go. Let's get five miles and let's, you know, pass off the sandbag. Let's let's do something like that because mm-hmm. uh, training together can say, if you don't have that drive mm-hmm. to do it by yourself, which can sometimes be hard to, to sustain, get a group of people and, and set a goal, pick a Spartan race. We're going to do this race and, you know, train together for it. But go ahead, Michelle. Mm-hmm. You have something to add. Go for it. Um, well, uh, you know, out, outside of just, you know, I'm, 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 I don't even know how old you are, Melinda, but um, I'm 45, so I'm a, I'm a contemporary of, of Joe DeSena, and I consider him and his wife Courtney friends um, of Bob and I's. And uh, I remember running a race, uh, Musalamalu, <laughs> way up in Vermont, and Don Devaney and Joe DeSena show up, and here's Bob and I running this 36-mile trail race, and there's these two with seven, I believe they had 70 pounds sandbags and they did the entire course <laughs> sandbags. now mind you we passed them but they did that race they signed up for it and they went to it with those sandbags and they carried those things and it was a steaming heart july day and i'll mm. tell you that's the kind of stuff i mean there's joe's the one that created spartan that's what he does you know, he has yeah. his kids go to his mountain, and they do repeats of the stone stairs, and they carry stuff. And it's not, you know, the kind of training is getting out, being out in nature, okay, number one. You don't have to spend money on all this expensive stuff. I mean, somebody could disagree with me, but I think it's baloney, okay? Anything that you need to do to train, you can find, repurpose. Get yourself a tire, get yourself a cement block, get yourself a Home Depot bucket and fill it with junk. One of the hardest yep. things I ever did was carrying two Home Depots with water up and over Joe DeSena's mountain and without spilling the water and bringing it back down. And I thought I was going to die. I mean, it hurt so badly. It was the most horrific thing I've done, but I did it. So then other things after it, they just don't seem as <laughs> It's bad when yeah. you do the worst. And you do it because no one's forcing you to do it, but you actually go out and just pick up something heavy and you say, I'm going to take this with me on my run today and I'm going to not drop it. I'm not going to let it down. No matter what, even if I get tired, I'll stop and I'll lean over or I'll lean against something, but I will never let this log, tire, cement block on the ground. You know, you challenge yourself. And you do it not because anyone else is there, not because you're getting a skull or a little metal with pieces attached together or you get your picture taken at the end of it. And none of that stuff matters. It's that you're going to do it because you know that it puts you in a place that you haven't been before. And it's like you're challenging yourself. And it doesn't matter what anyone else does. Because then you get to sit with yourself and be like, I did that. (laughs) I did that. And a lot of people are just sitting at home eating ice cream. But I did something painful and hard, and I did it because I wanted to, not for all the right reasons. That's why you yep. do these things, you know? That's the real reason why you do them, because you can. Yeah. Le- learning, It's for me, it was. it started out as finding out what I could do. 
you know, having been stationary for so many years, so I did this Spartan race. I wonder if I could do a super. Well, what about a beast? And then, well, what about an ultra beast? And then this year I took it to doing two ultra beasts and on a whim and kind of half on a dare from norm, adding in the beast ultra beast combo on the second one. <laughs> That's it's, awesome. It's, you, you figure out what you can do and then you start to ask yourself, well, what else can I do? Mm-hmm. What's next? What, if I can do this, then, wow, I could probably do this too. Mm-hmm. I'm actually... I'm going to be hitting up Michelle on Facebook uh, later at some point because I want to run my first ultra marathon next year. And yeah, I'm like I said, I'm not a runner, but I, I want to try it. I want to see what I can do. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be 40 yep. this year. Let's run my first ultra marathon at age 40. Why not? Yeah, love Why it. Not? <laughs> Why not? It's actually, what, a good age. The to one get into ultra running. <laughs> the one question that I. It. Go for it. The one question that I uh, wanted to get in before we start to wrap it up is the what do you pack for your races? And uh, I'm not talking about the death race. I'm talking more for um, the beast or the ultra beast. What are you bringing water, electrolytes, food in your backpack? Because a lot of people have those questions. Yeah. Um, you can start, it Ken. depends. It depends on the distance and the, the difficulty of the race. For example, the South Carolina Beast is a relatively flat course, and I know that I can finish that in about three hours or less. And at three hours or less, I don't need much. The The water on the course that they have set up is usually enough at that point for my hydration. I might have a gel or two tucked into the, the my compression shorts. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't think I've actually – I don't think with either Dallas or Carolina, the shorter, easier Beasts, I don't think I carried any food on either of those two. Now, when you get to the the Killington Beast or the Tahoe Beast, and you're going to be out there for five hours and you're battling going up and down mountains, I do wear a hydration pack, carries uh, two liters of liquid in it, and I do a mix of uh, branched-chain amino acids in there with electrolytes um, and extra salt tabs. Um, mm-hmm. Again, I'm a I'm a bigger guy than most, so most know about doing the electrolytes. As big as I am, I have to make sure that I sustain and protect my muscle mass. So I add the branched-chain amino acids in there. I actually use the ones from P4P specifically, uh, chain yeah. reaction. Um, I'll add, in a two-liter thing, I'll add probably three servings of the chain reaction in there. And I find that that keeps my legs going and keeps me driving even after a couple hours of, of pushing pretty hard on those inclines. Um, On the food side of things, I have four different things that I typically carry in my bag. Uh, The GU Goose, the Energy Beans, uh, Trail Mix, and Beef Jerky. Um, Start with the, the the, the beans and the gels go first because they're quick energy, but after a couple hours, I start to need more substantive food. Again, being a bigger guy, I need more to push me. So I, I like trail mixes that have, specifically, I have one that I love that has the chocolate-covered espresso beans in there. So you get the you get the sugar from the chocolate, you get a little bit of fat and protein from the nuts, and you get that boost of caffeine from the espresso beans. And then the beef jerky gives me extra salt and extra protein. All of it's really easily digested. That's a key part of it. You don't want anything that's going to stick in you and be heavy because you need, like I said, you need to keep moving. Um, and then the the last part I'll touch on before passing it over is 
you need to stay ahead with your food consumption when you're doing an event like that. If you wait until you're hungry or you wait until you feel yourself getting weak, it's already too late. Uh, your body, when you're operating at high intensity, can only handle digesting a couple hundred calories an hour. So if you let yourself get two hours behind schedule digesting, you've made it impossible to catch up because you can't digest enough fast enough. So I actually I wear a satellite watch when I run that times everything, and I set it to do an alarm every 40 minutes, and every 40 minutes I take in between one and 200 calories so that I stay on pace for the race. Even if I'm not hungry, it keeps me on track. No, oh, definitely. That uh, you sound exactly the same. I pack the the goose, I pack the blocks, I pack jerky, and I pack trail mix. Pack exactly the same thing, <laughs> and I eat every hour. Um, and I don't wait until I get hungry because one year at the the, the year the beast was, I think it was like 18 miles because I had to reroute the course for beast because of an incident on the mountain. Uh, I ran out of food and I just wasn't eating right and I wasn't timing my eating throughout the race and I was shaking and I was hungry and I felt like I was going to faint and I said never again. Um, yeah. So, yeah, definitely timing out your eating is absolutely important and you have to eat before you get hungry, eat even if you're not hungry. Um, and hydrating throughout the entire course is definitely important. So it's funny because we pack exactly the same stuff. So look at that. Um, guess I'm doing it right, which is good. Yeah, but you, I mean, I've been doing it for a while, but I, I know when I first started Spartan racing, I couldn't even get myself over a seven-foot wall by myself. <laughs> so it's been a progression of like, you know, going to the gym, getting my strength up, really pushing myself to train, and I'm at a much better level now and still a ton of room for improvement. So I look up to both of you guys with everything you do. But thank you. That made me feel really good. Um, and <laughs> so, Michelle, what about you? What do you pack? Well, I'm not going to – since I've only done one traditional Spartan race, um, I, I'm i going to talk – would it be more helpful to talk about uh, ultra, the longer, longer Yeah, let's maybe – yeah, yeah. Because I, I don't really have the, the the when I did the beast, I just had some. I had whatever I had in my kitchen, and I, I threw in the back, and I just drink water. So I don't eat, I don't use goo or blocks or any of that kind of stuff. I stick for an ultra. I eat only real food, um, not necessarily healthy food, but I eat real food. So I'll eat. Uh, I'll buy a bunch of like Dunkin' Donuts, sausage, egg sandwiches, a bunch of McDonald's hamburgers. I like to put peanut butter on it. Um, I like to eat pizza. <laughs> I like to eat Quest bars. Um, that's for the first 50 miles. I eat something every, just like Ken said, I eat something every hour, about 200 calories. So I might have like a sandwich in my pack and I'll just take it out and eat half of it until it's gone. So I always carry a pack. Um, I carry a Solomon's vest. Um, I don't need as much water as, uh, as other people. Um, I hardly sweat at all but I don't add anything to it. I don't believe in taking soft tablets, and I don't add electrolytes. I just drink pure water. Um, if they have soda, I'm a big fan of drinking Coca-Cola or ginger ale um, after mile 50 because it calms your stomach and it makes you burp. Ultras are completely different. You cannot plan for an ultra. You cannot pack your pack because the bottom line is at mile 65, what you have in your pack might actually make you throw up just to think about putting it in your mouth. So it's basically you have to be super flexible with your food intake when you run anything over 50 miles. 
Um, actually, anything over like a 50K because your stomach starts to shut down and what you liked at mile 20, you are not going to like at mile 40. Um, something that you've never eaten before, you might find yourself grabbing at mile 75. Um, so you have to be really flexible with your food. You can't go in there and be like, I'm just going to have these cliff bar, you know, cliff bars and goo shots. Like, it's not going to work like that. Um, you will have, with ultra running, you will have uh, major stomach issues. You will have, uh, you probably will have, when you guys do your first ultra, you'll probably have issues with diarrhea or you'll have issues with constipation or you'll have <laughs> issues with hemorrhoids or you have issues with vomiting. You'll have all those wonderful, really sexy ultra stuff happened to you. <laughs> um, trust me, ultra running is the least sexiest sport out there. <laughs> you will be so excited when you fart and burp because it will calm your stomach down. Yeah. Um, <laughs> ultra running, seriously, it's not a pretty sight. Um, you're not going to smell very good. But you have to be flexible with long-distance running, and you can't go in there and assume that what works at for like a 20-mile you know, run or a 10-mile run is going to work at 70. You have to be open-minded. You have to make sure that you eat. But whatever is offered to you, whatever looks palatable, even if it's something you're not used to, take it. Even if you've never eaten it before, take it. Take little bites of it and go with what your body's saying, hmm, that's something I want. Because people who talk about salt, that's when you want the, you know, bacon and grilled cheese sandwich. I would never eat that in, in real life, but I crave those when I see that at mile 70 because I think my body's mm-hmm. saying, hey, you want a little salt. So listen to your body when you're running, and my personal opinion is stay as far away from goose, shot blocks, any of that stuff when you're doing an ultra and stick to real food. That's just that's just my from many experiences of vomiting and diarrhea. Let me tell yep. you, stay away from that after mile fifty. All right, no, definitely the, interesting. Something here, funny from what she said. Yeah. <gasps> Sorry, something funny from that is that in Spartan races, with the Beast and the Ultra Beast, there's something very opposite from the ultra running. I've heard this from other ultra runners too. In the Spartan race, people will tell you if you've never, if you haven't tested in in your training runs. Don't test it on race day. You mm-hmm. avoid, you avoid, you specifically avoid new things. You avoid untested things because you don't know how your system will react to it. But mm-hmm. I've, like I said, I've heard other people say the same thing Michelle just did. That in ultra races, when you pass mile mm-hmm. fifty, you just go with it. Yep. Trust me. When you guys do your first, you'll be like, "Oh, I wish somebody has some <laughs> chicken noodle soup at mile like eighty when you're cold," and you're like, "Oh, I crave that." Even if you're, a, I was a vegetarian. At my first 100-mile race, and guess what I had? I had chicken noodle soup <laughs> because that's what I needed. And if I didn't have that, I would not have finished. So you just go with what your body tells you. Um, you'll learn, you know. Just have an open mind and be flexible with it when it comes to nutrition, you know. And, and try your own thing. There's not one way to do nutrition. There's not one way to do things. You, you mentioned earlier mustard. I I mean, my personal opinion about that is that's along the same lines as Mike eating rock pop, rocks, whatever, and drinking soda and blowing up. I don't believe it. But if people believe it and it works for them, absolutely. Do the mustard, you know? I mean, if whatever works for you makes you feel energized, makes you feel good, makes your stomach calm, I say go for it. I can do it. 
No, awesome advice from both of you. We're on our way to closing up in about seven minutes. I think I want each of you to kind of close it out. Anything that you want to, and inspiring words for new racers, things that you, you know, want to accomplish that you haven't accomplished yet that you want to put out there. And also, Ken, if you want to mention a little bit P4P Mag that that is coming out, I will let you do that. if for anyone out there that doesn't know, Ken and I are both actually sponsored by the same supplement company, which is P4P Muscle. They're coming out with a magazine. So I'm going to let Ken start with his closing words, and he can also brief you on that as well. Uh, okay, well, I'll do the magazine part first. Uh, P4P Sports is uh, – the P4P company started primarily working with natural bodybuilders, but they've since expanded to working with athletes across a wide variety of different disciplines. Uh, they've got uh, motocross cyclists, they've got hockey players, they've got MMA fighters, and they have obstacle course racers. Um, they're starting a new magazine, an online magazine, beginning on November 1st. The first issue comes out. Uh, I'm going to be one of the authors for the magazine. I think you said you're going to be one too, Melinda? I'm in there, and I wrote an article. So I'm featured Excellent. on page five, and then I also wrote an article as well. Okay. Um, it's going to feature... Again, athletes across a wide spectrum of sports, all writing about their sport in their own words, uh, and it's going to give you a chance to learn a lot about different disciplines and different approaches to training. Um, the, there's a lot of mainstream coverage of, of major sports, and it's, it's fun for me to see a company like P4P giving some publicity and some uh, press to those of us in sports that are more up-and-coming. Uh, OCR is the fastest growing sport in the world right now. Uh, it's being televised on multiple different networks. Uh, ESPN has been airing Battlefrog. Uh, NBC Sports is airing Spartan races. Uh, and there's talk of there being more stuff going on in the future. Uh, Joe Decina is pushing to eventually get uh, the Spartan race into the Olympics. So it's, it's, it'll be fun for me to be able to share that sport with people with other backgrounds. Um, as for what I have upcoming, uh, I'm, my season is starting to wind down. I have a few more races left this year, and uh, I mentioned earlier I'm going to be turning 40, so my big push this off season is to prep for competing as a Masters for the first time this year. The Masters division is age 40-plus, and uh, so instead of being the oldest of the young guys, I get to be the youngest of the old guys now. There you go. Uh, <laughs> so you'll and, be on that podium uh, next year, right? That's the plan. Uh, I've, I've been I've been working a lot on my. I, I'm not a runner, but I'm working on my running to become a better runner, and and use that to improve my overall times, and hopefully collect a few podium spots this year. There you go. Well, good luck. I'm going to be racing at a at a good number of Spartans next year, so I'm sure that I will see you. At least I'll see you at Vermont because I'll definitely be there. And I'm on the same Absolutely. track you are. I'm not a runner, but that running and pushing a faster pace on running is what's going to help me because I have the strength. So um with you on that one. So good luck with that. And I'm sure, hey, maybe you'll be up there in the top five. Um, and then I can bring you back on and we can talk about that. So Excellent. let me go. Go ahead, Michelle. Why don't you give us a little closing words and what you have in store for the next year coming up? Uh, let's see. Well, next week I'll be pacing um, – my husband in his second attempt at a hundred, so I'm going to do the whole hundred with him. Um, it should be fun. That's uh, that's next weekend, and I think I have I have a few hundreds 
in the next couple of months. But my biggest and most exciting um, thing that I'm looking for is my first Lego League robotics team. We're going to be competing at the end of the month. Yep, we're going to be competing against (laughs) all the other Massachusetts teams. So. We uh, right now that's really my focus to get uh, to get my team up there and be able to move on to the uh, the next level and world domination pretty much in robotics. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> and I love how you say I just have a few hundreds in the next couple months. I was thinking the I exact like, same thing. Hey, like <laughs> if I say like hey, I have a half marathon in the next month, I'm like, oh damn, I got to train for that 13 miles. <laughs> <laughs> I got a couple hundreds, but hey, that's great. That's the level you're at, and I think that's absolutely amazing. Um, you know, when people find well, something that they're passionate about and they mm-hmm. love doing it and they excel at it, that's you know the best because there's no point of doing it if it doesn't make you happy, especially if it's a hobby. So exactly. finding Good happiness point. within this type of stuff, you know, finding happiness. Mm-hmm doing stuff and pushing yourself and then in you know you never know who's watching so you guys being on here you guys posting things on your facebook or just being out there at a race people seeing what you're doing you're inspiring other people to possibly give it a shot as well so you never know who's watching point point, thank you well i i Mm -hmm. really enjoyed having you both on tonight i appreciate you taking the time out of your day to discuss this. This is a little bit different. Of course, I try to, I always say this. I say, my this show is a little bit different than my last show. Well, that's my point. I want to try to get all different types of athletes from bodybuilding to CrossFit to OCR um, to trainers and, and all in between to come on here and so people get a broad spectrum of all the different things out there and hopefully they help them find their passion for what they want to do. So I want to thank both of you again and, Good luck with all the upcoming races you have and just your couple hundreds in the next month. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> Thanks, Melinda. Good luck, Ken. You're welcome. <laughs> thank you, and thank you for uh, having us on. Yeah, it was welcome. a lot of fun. Thanks, Thanks very much. You're welcome, and I hope to bring you guys on again next year. Maybe we can see where you're at and get some updates on you. So good luck, and I will talk to you guys later. Okay, bye, Melinda. Bye, Ken. Bye. Bye, guys. <laughs>